is up. Wrestling fans, your host the most, George McKay, back in the building. And I'm here with a man who's got a face for radio. Steve the Animal Mitchell. Hey, what's up, everybody? What's up is that we've been under construction, kind of incognito, if you will, for the last couple of weeks. Because we've been revamping, restructuring, refining ourselves, if you will. And uh, mm. we're ready to roll out some great, awesome new, new concepts for episodes that we've got. And uh, some other great things that we want to announce as we go through for year number two. We are officially, uh, as of September 14th, we are officially one year and one week old. So happy one year, one week anniversary to you, sir. Yeah, seriously, happy anniversary, my brother. It's been a, it's been a long road, but we've kind of found ourselves from the early stages to where we are now, and we're just going to get better. So we decided to take that two-week break, really put our heads together, uh, exhaust ourselves with a bunch of new ideas that we want to run through. But first thing we want to do is, uh, right off the hop, is we want to make a, an official announcement uh, on... The voice of reason, Michelle Rougeau. Now, as you know, most most of you know, for the last couple of episodes, she has not been in-house. And the reason being is because she has decided to kind of take a step back and focus on some other avenues. Uh, if anybody followed our Facebook page, Sonny Pictures, the voice is uh, a fantastic-looking lady, um, as we all know. And she, uh, she is also a model, or an aspiring model, if you will. And she had an opportunity to uh, become Inked Magazine's cover girl. But yes. she needs all of our helps. So we'll be sharing this link on our uh, all our social media pages for you to hit it, vote it, like it, share it, and get her up there. Right now she started off, I believe, when I talked to her, 46, 47. Yep. And already she's bumped up to the 20s. Yeah, she's, she's 27. Ki- she's killing it. She's it's killing only, it. It's only been about a day that it's, she's been plugging this thing and she's been absolutely killing it. Everybody's been getting on board. Everybody's been... Showing tons of support and it's been absolutely amazing. It's been super overwhelming. Yeah, that's and that's what we want to do here. We want to help one of our own. Uh, not to say that she will never return. She'll probably come back every now and again on a couple guest spot episodes whenever she has the free time. But I'm sure her calendar is going to be quite full. But we'll post the link for all these things. So all you guys out there who do listen to us faithfully every week and thank you for sticking through with us, even though we've disappeared for two weeks. Thank you for sticking through with us. Uh, and don't forget, a lot of exciting changes are coming. One is that, uh, as we all know, we met Mick Foley last weekend, which was super epic. That was amazing. Uh, and we actually got a soundbite from him, which we will unveil in October on our Superstar profile, which we will be doing. Mick Foley, of course, that'll be my yep. my turn at the wheel. I'll be doing the hardcore legend Mick Foley and the soundbite. We will share at that moment. And it's super great, uh, super genuine guy. And the conversation that we heard celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Hell in the Cell match that we all know and love was just blew the roof down and it was such an intimate setting because it was literally only a hundred of us and we got to hear the most epic conversation i had a great question but one of the waitresses at the bar which was fantastic the goofy noofy in fergus ontario if you get a chance check it out love it uh the food there is amazing she stole my question that was the only downside of the night she stole my question she didn't know she stole my question but she stole my question (laughs) my question to him was uh you know if you could get back in the ring today who would you want to battle with who right now would you want to battle with and like I expected, he said Ricochet, which is not a surprise at all. <laughs> so that conversation was super epic. Steve, for you for hooking it up. And Greg, the man who set the whole thing up, we're going to get him on the show down the line, either in studio or via phone call, to kind of pick his brain about how he decided to um, start bringing in all these these legends mm-hmm. to have these great conversations. And in a small little intimate spot like Fergus, uh, it's become a staple now. Like all these guys want to come and stop on their tours to Fergus because the fans are so respectful, they're so knowledgeable, and it was just a great, great atmosphere. We met a lot of great wrestling yeah. fans, 
There was not a bad thing I could say about it. No, that was a, that was absolutely amazing. Greg and Cindy, thank you so so much. Uh, that's Cindy. That's uh, Greg's wife. I really really appreciate you guys. Everything you guys did that night for for putting that on and and how much uh, that really meant to to both of us for us to get to you know hang with a a, a legend like Mick Foley and get to hang with a Hall of Famer like Mick Foley. Like getting to hear. I got my autographs right there. Yeah, getting to take, getting to hear his take on the the twentieth anniversary of the Hell in the Cell was absolutely <laughs> amazing. Of listening to and what felt like from watching that match so many times. And being so attached to that match emotionally on so many levels. Um, the fact of actually getting to listen to the man who uh, never should have put his body on the line nearly as much as what he did for us. We didn't deserve it as much as what he gave us. But he gave us what he gave us that night at the uh, in the Hell in the Cell. Uh, that King of the Ring in, in 1998. And it absolutely blew my mind to, to sit there and listen to him depicting every single bit of what went down and how that match all came together. Yeah, and his impressions of Vince and uh, uh, The Undertaker. Just so candid, so wonderful, such a great night. And um, yeah, Scorpion Entertainment, they're just growing. They're just getting stronger. They're bringing in a lot of great acts. Uh, in November, coming up right around the corner, two months away, they've got Tino Santana coming in-house. So yep. the conversation that that guy's going to have, the amount of knowledge that that guy has from the business old and new it's going to be it's going to be a great another great just epic conversation absolutely so we'll, we'll definitely give a shout out to scorpion entertainment and we will start plugging all their events because those guys are top notch and the talent and the legends that they bring in is top notch another thing that we want to run through before we get into today's episode which is our superstar profile of the ultimate warrior we've been we've been plugging this for a few weeks now but we went under construction to kind of revamp some stuff but now we're ready to sit down and do it Steve's done all the research, and he's probably, I don't even need to say it, it's a fantastic job. The clips that we got are super amazing, and all the all the written word and all the research that he's done is going to be stellar. I have no doubt about that. Went all in, my friend. Perfect. Oh, oh, huh? Segway, all in. Plug, I like right? it. I like it. I like it. Uh, so a couple quick other announcements is that next week's episode, we are literally calling the tools of the trade, and that means that you've got wrestlers that were once maybe in WWE or started off elsewhere. Learn the tools of the trade to either get to WWE or once they picked up the knowledge from WWE, left and found themselves and became their own self-promoters and have done such an amazing job outside of the WWE landscape in this business to really be ranked the top. A couple names just to throw off the hop. We're not going to give too much away. You got guys like Kevin Owens. You got guys like um, Cody Rhodes. You got guys like Drew McIntyre. You got Mick Foley. You've got uh, Chris Jericho. These are guys that didn't necessarily start in WWE, but either use the tools to get there or guys that started in WWE and left to find themselves stayed away to become even bigger names or might have taken what they learned outside and came back home again, as they would like to call it. So that's going to be a great episode. And that's next week. That one will be pre-recorded just like tonight's is pre-recorded. That'll be dropping on September 28th. On September 28th. Yes. 28th or 29th. Next Friday. Whatever next Friday is. That's the 28th. 28th, perfect. September 28th. So that's going to be the tools of the trade. You can get that 7.30 on all our platforms. And uh, also, we will be a week after that, we will be unveiling our photo shoot picks. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, why? you're a podcast, you're a radio show. Why would you want to do photo shoot picks? Hey, we want to put it. We want to put faces to the names. You know me as the host, you know him as the animal, but you may not know what we look like. And quite frankly, getting a little bit tired of just doing phone picks to put stuff up for you guys. We'd really like some professional, uh, professional photo shots to to throw up for you guys on the Instagram, on the Twitter, the Facebook, all the above. So uh, just keep your eyes keep your eyes open for that because it's going to be really fun. Miss Jessica Salim, she's going to be doing our photo shoot for us, and we really, really appreciate it. Can't wait to do that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. We are actually going to be doing that next weekend. 
So that's going to be stellar. And I think that's all yeah. the uh, that's all the information we want to plug outside of today's episode, which is oh, and uh, and just last last little plug is uh, is Wim and Willow uh, Photography, ladies and gentlemen. Just check that out. If you guys are looking for a photo shoot to get done, uh, look for uh, Wim and Willow Photography. Look look up Jessica Salim for that. Perfect. So there we go. That's the last official plug. And now the meat and potatoes of today's episode, the incomparable, the controversial, the all-knowing, all-wise, ultimate warrior. And this one is, I couldn't be more excited because this guy's one of my top fives. Um, as Sting is, as Kevin Owens is, as Triple H is, he's definitely in my top five in no particular order. So I can't wait to hear... I mean, we all know the story, but there's some information that, much like you learned when I did Owen Hart, who's also in my top five there, I think I've named my top five, uh, much as when I did Owen Hart, you um, will probably be shedding some light on things I may not know about The Ultimate Warrior. So at this point, I will shut the fuck up, and I will give it to you. <laughs> Rock and roll. I picked The Ultimate Warrior. You know what? I, I, I picked Warrior simply because he's the guy that was the superhero to me when I was a kid. He was, he was the guy that I, I bought it. I bought everything about him. Um, maybe not so much growing up as an adult, but when I was a kid, I was a warrior. I was, I was the kid that was, I was running with the TV while the warrior was running to the ring. Like I was just that jacked up for what warrior was going to do, even though it was a matter of, I didn't, I didn't care that it was only 30 seconds that he went in there to squash a guy. I didn't care about any of that. All I cared about was that my favorite human being on planet Earth at that point, which was the Ultimate Warrior, was coming to the ring to wreak havoc, and I couldn't wait to see it. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. But yeah, we go, and now we go into Warrior's life, where Warrior, he was born in 1959 as James Brian Helwig in Crawfordsville, in uh, Crawfordville, Indiana. He was the oldest of five children, and he was raised by his mother, along with later his stepfather, after his father left, his, uh, left the family when he was 12. His father died at 57, and his grandfather died at 52. The family moved to Indiana, where he graduated from Petersburg Fountain Central High School and attended Indiana State University for a year. In his early professional wrestling career, Helwig began as uh, Jim Justice Helwig of Power Team USA, the, a group of bodybuilders trained by Red Bostein and Rick Bosman. Later, um, they would wrestle as the Freedom Fighters, which was Helwig, which, is, uh, which was uh, James Helwig, and uh, which, was, which was also Steve Borden, who was the Flash, which is, of course, Steve Borden, that's your boy, who was the Stinger. <laughs> they formed a tag team called the Blade Runners. Uh, Hellwig was Blade Runner Rock, and Borden was, and Borden was uh, Blade Runner Flash. Debuting in Memphis, Tennessee-based Central Wrestling Association, which was a CWA promotion run by Jerry Jarrett. Uh, the team played baby faces at first, but fans actually were slow to take to the, to the hulking duo. In, uh, in that territory, as they had uh, in the territory days, as they had featured more sympathetic good guy teams like the Rock and Roll Express and the Fabulous Ones. They were quickly turned heel as the Blade Runners. Uh, Blade Runners went, went on to wrestle in Mid South Wrestling Promotion, which became Universal Wrestling Federation, or the UWF, in 1986. According to Joseph Laurinaitis, aka Road Warrior Animal, UWF owner Bill Watts created uh, the Blade Runners as an intent to make them parody of the Road Warriors. They were part of Eddie, Griffer, Eddie, Gilford's, Eddie Gilbert's Hot Stuff International, International Group. Before disbanding in 1986, then Helwig left the, w, the UWF. Um, his early push in the World Wrestling Federation, that happened in 1987 to 1988. This is when Helwig joined the WWF in June 1987. First competing on house shows under the name The Dingo Warrior, 
He defeated a series of jobbers including Steve Lombardi, Barry Horriblewitz, and Mike Sharp. He made it. He made his television <laughs> debut as the Ultimate Warrior in October 25th on an October 25th episode of Wrestling Challenge, where he defeated another jobber, Terry Gibbs. The Ultimate Warrior became known for his high-energy ring entrances, which featured him racing to the arena at full speed, bursting into the ring, and violently shaking the ropes up and down. He was also known for his his distinctive pattern of face paint. After several months of after several months of defeating jobbers. He was pinned for the first time in the WWF by a fellow rookie, future rival, Ravishing Rick Rude, on December 28, 1987. In early 1988, Warrior entered into his first real WWF feud with fellow strongman Hercules Hernandez, otherwise, of course, known as Just Hercules. The two faced off in February 7, 1988 airing of Wrestling Challenge, where Hercules was disqualified for using the steel chain. Warrior then grabbed a hold of the chain, and in the midst of a tug of war over it, the chain snapped. This led to the match at WrestleMania 4, where Warrior was victorious in his pay-per-view debut. Warrior lost twice by pinfall shortly thereafter, clear, cleanly by Andre the Giant in April in Italy, and then to Dino Bravo, who put his foot on the ropes for leverage in Montreal in June. Montreal always got something screwy going on in the city of Montreal. Right, they always got some sort of a screw job going on over there. <laughs> in the summer of 1988, he wrestled Bobby Heenan in a series of weasel suit matches in which Warrior won by sleeper hold. Uh, and, and if you listen back to any of those interviews, there were a lot of them where Bobby Heenan was not too keen on working with the Warrior. <laughs> uh, the Warrior, uh, he received uh, a monster push, and this was from uh, 1990 to 1991 where he finally got his world title shot. Um, Warrior received a monster push in the main event successor where he was going up against uh, Hulk Hogan and would remain wrestling's biggest star throughout the 1980s following a few confrontations with Hogan most notably at the 1990 Royal Rumble the Warrior was written in as Hogan's opponent for the main event of Wrestlemania 6 at Skydome in Toronto the match was billed as the ultimate challenge as both Hogan's WWF title, WWF title and Warrior's Intercontinental title were on the line the Warrior pinned Hogan after Warrior splashed to become uh, the, war the, the only wrestler to hold both championships simultaneously. Warrior vacated the Intercontinental title, which Mr. Perfect won in a tournament, as WWF rules prohibited a wrestler from holding both titles. So that's what made me wonder, why did you make a match then, if that's ever been a title versus title match? Why would you make a title versus title match if like, you can't have the guy win both belts? Well, you got him winning for one night and then say goodbye, I guess, right? Right. But now, now you can hold as many as you want. I mean, at one point in time, if I remember correctly, Kurt Angle held three. He held three. Uh, Seth Rollins, he had both belts uh, for what he had. Uh, yeah, the U.S. title yeah, and the WWF title. U.S. title and <coughs> WWF title. And Jericho, when he was the unified heavyweight championship, he actually held both belts. Even though yeah. they, even though they were unified as in together, they were still two separate heavyweight championship belts. Yeah. And so, then, of course, Shawn Michaels, when uh, he, when, uh, oh, no, wait, sorry, I thought, I, I, in my head, I'm like, wasn't he European champion and WWF champion at the same time? But I can't remember if he was or not. No, Triple H was European champion, and then uh, he was WWF champion at that time. But uh, I believe he held tag titles when he was right. a champion. Triple H has held tag, tag, tag titles when he was a champion. That's the right, Rock, when he was, like, WWF as well. champion and tag champion with Steve Austin and, like, all this stuff. So, so it, so it looks, since then, looks like it was an old rule. That yeah. they changed because the more gold you have, the more 
TV time you rightfully deserve. Yeah, and so. I just knew that back then, that that was, like, the rule of the way things went. I was just like, that's just weird how you would make a match that would <laughs> make a guy win both belts if you were just going to make him give up one of the belts immediately. Yeah, that was like <laughs> the old uh, Raw and SmackDown, like, video games. Like, yeah. 2006, you had to give up the title. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if you were a continental champion, then you were going to work your way up to the heavyweight staple. Right. You had to vacate your title. Right. So, yeah, I mean... It's not a rule that is common today, but I guess back in the day. But I would like to see him run with both because the feuds that he would have had with the two different weight divisions would have been just epic. That's the unfortunate part. Now we're getting to the part after WrestleMania. (laughs) So we're getting to the high peak, and now we're going low. We have a clip clip here we want to play? Yeah, this is is actually Warrior's promo from WrestleMania. This is the, the Warrior promo that he cut on Hogan. Probably best promo of all the weirdo promos that anybody knows anything about Warrior. That was pretty much like the biggest thing of his shtick was just the weird, weird, out there, astronomical promos that he would cut. But this one was probably the most out there. And this, this one is an old, old clip. The audio's not going to be great, so, you know, forgive us. We can only do so much, but here we go. Check it out. Check it. Look for a 
place to hide. Or do you hold Koken face that challenge that may be more powerful than even you are, Hulk Hogan? And you know what the funny thing is? He was sober the whole time. <laughs> he was sober, bro. All right. It you know what? Very, the sweat looked very minimal. Yeah. You know what? Day. So it seems like he, he actually wasn't on too many drugs. You know what? There was um, there was a lot of a lot of peaks and valleys in that promo. A lot more valleys than I would say peaks. <laughs> but definitely. Um, you know what? For what it was, man. Back in the day when you were a kid and you saw that on the screen. You know for sure you went to school the next day after you saw it and you and all your friends were going <sighs> right <laughs> you know you were and if anybody out there says they weren't they're full of crap okay because you know you're <sighs> you totally did it he just spat on his own shirt ladies and gentlemen i did just trying to recreate the ultimate warrior <laughs> got it all over my rolex t-shirt god damn it that was great oh no but you know what like <sighs> you did it you know you did it and right. if you didn't do it, you're full of crap. But yeah, his promo skills were out there. But uh, you pull apart all the the lefts and the rights and the ups and the downs that thing took. Yeah, it was a pretty great promo. I mean, it made a lot of sense near the end. You know, I'm not the chosen one you speak of. I'm the only one. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 Hogan having to, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, I I lost my train of thought. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, but by, by telling Hogan that, uh, um, 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 there was a part in his promo that I was trying to think of, but I totally lost it. Anyway, um, but, but, but the way that he, he was trying to depict the story of how Hogan's basically has to self-destruct is what I was trying to remember. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The cockpit, the pilots who have already made the sacrifice. Yeah. Like, I, like you, like, you know, in my head, like as an adult, you're going, okay, there's a cockpit now. Like what the hell is, where, where the hell is this going? But when, when you're, when you're a kid and you're literally like feeling what those, those words of what the warrior's trying to tell you and how he's, what he's going to do and how he's going to go in there and take down the immortal Hulk Hogan and Jesus Christ, the amount of Hulk Hogan's that he had in that promo was just that. I feel like there was the more words were there were not as many words as there were with him just saying Hulk Hogan over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, for Warrior's promo skill, that was probably the best that you're ever really gonna get out of him. I bet if we cut that up, that was like a four minute promo. But I bet if we cut that up and just spliced out the Hogan's, you'd probably get two minutes thirty seconds. Probably of just, of just Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Just a bunch of Hulk Hogan's over yeah. and over again. It's like those Trump videos they do where they did take the one word and you sing yeah, a song. Billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Huge. 
Now, um, we got uh, a clip that we're going to play. Is actually, uh, this is, this is uh, I believe this is a couple of years before the Warrior passed, or a year before the Warrior had passed. Um, this was an interview that was done by Josh Schultz and Ethan Cole, who were uh, a couple of fans that really wanted to meet the Ultimate Warrior. Went up, did an interview with him. Uh, absolutely inspiring, incredible. Watch the entire interview if you ever get a chance. It's absolutely amazing. But this is just a little clip of, of Warrior talking about that uh, specific WrestleMania six. Um, just the year before his passing and talking about a little bit of, uh, of his uh, self-discipline and just everything that comes along with being a warrior. All right, here we go. I just want to start off by telling you that I was at WrestleMania 6. Wow. I was probably seven years old, and it was one of the biggest highlights of my childhood. Yeah, that was an awesome event, man. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing for me, there's the one classic WrestleMania 6 promo where I'm talking real slow. That's when I started... Hulk, Hulk, all throughout the whole promo, you know. Yeah. It's, I remember doing that promo. It's, I don't even remember doing it. I mean, I don't remember where I was. I went so far out there. I remember thinking in my head that I was way out there. Even then, man, behind a character and doing wrestling, that's one of those times where that resistance, that voice of resistance pops in your head. It says you're going too far out there. You know, like a lot of people will say, you know, that they... That, that you know, people want to criticize that time and those interviews. Say, man, he, he couldn't understand nothing that idiot was saying. But the people that got it, got it. man, that was classic. It was the best. You're I got right it. there at the TV, man, just watching it. You know. So were you kind of like an outsider when you came in? Do you feel like an outsider uh, when you came in? I didn't get in to just be a professional wrestler till the end of time, like a lot of guys. And that's where a lot of the heat that I've gotten from guys in the business has come from. Because a lot of guys were second and third generation, and the business was changing at the time. It was becoming sports entertainment, and a lot of the guys who had, as I like to put it, had these gear bags full of technical wrestling moves and had learned that way. Take like a Bret Hart or people who learned up at Bret Hart's father's dungeon, the famous dungeon that is Stu Hart's territory. Right. The old timers, the guys who'd been in the business a long time, they saw the business was changing. They didn't like the all-American looking guys coming in the business with the physiques and the bodies, they knew it was going to change. And so they would, a lot of those old timers, man, they knew how to get you in things where they would break your bones, you know? It's like I mean, Hulk, man, the first time he went to try out for wrestling, they broke his leg. Really? Yeah, a Japanese guy that was had wrestling school down in Florida. They, he came in, he, you know, got the height and the size and stuff like that. Didn't know anything about what he was going to become or be. Just thought he wanted to be a wrestler. And they broke his leg the first time. Wow. It goes both ways, right? Like, he's got to go with your hits, and you've got to go with his hits. Like, how does that all work? How do you choreograph all this? Well, when you're in the ring, I mean, of course, you're, it's all, you're all jacked up, the adrenaline and everything. It's not like if I just walked behind Ethan and I tapped him on his shoulder and just slugged him. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. I wouldn't mind thing. if he did that. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't laugh. Uh... You know, you're in the ring, you're sweating, you're all warmed up, the crowd, everything like that. So even if you took a good shot, man, it's not going to have the same effect like that. I was watching some of your, like, finishing moves recently. I, I had actually forgotten about this. Like, I, I knew the splash, but I'd forgotten about the actual, like, up yeah. and down pump. First, yeah. I don't know how the hell you did that. Like, <laughs> did you ever hurt anyone when you dropped them? Or was that a pretty safe uh, Did you ever have moments where after you guys, like, why did you do Like, that was a little <laughs> too hard. Like, thank you for that. I mean, I was strong in it, the overhead press. I remember in the gym, I could pick 315 pounds yeah. off the ground and just lift it up to here and sit down and just press it behind my head maybe six or seven times. 
this Mike Sharp guy, I was going around working with him, and I, this is actually before I was even on TV, but he weighed about 300 pounds. I have my match, and I go to do my press slam with him, and I didn't get him up. You know, I was, I, we've been on the road, I don't know how many days, I was exhausted. I couldn't get him all the way up for that press slam. I just had to dump him off the back like that. The whole arena started booing. Wow. Yeah, man. And I said to myself, I walked around for a second, just, you know, two or three seconds. It seemed like an hour, you know. And I said, and I walked over to him. He was laying in the middle. And I said, we're going to do it again. And he won't up. I grabbed him by the neck as tight as I could. Man, I must have choked his breath off. I grabbed him in a nut sack. The whole place went nuts, man. I thrive off of challenges. Right. You know, I like to be challenged in my life. I don't like the easy way. I like to be challenged. And the best way to do it is, is when you, uh, to establish a discipline in it is through what you do physically. Right. That's the hardest thing to do, is to make yourself really get yourself up physically to do something, you know? Walk into a place where there's a physical challenge that you'd like to go to the ring at night when you're tired or something like that, night after night after night. It's the best way to build your discipline, is to challenge yourself physically. Sometimes I go to the gym at like four in the morning, three in the morning because I can't sleep. Is that, you think that's fine? Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's not bad. I got my best workouts at one or two o'clock really? in the morning man, okay. after, after I had done my job. I used to pay the guys to keep the gyms open, you know, if they knew when the tour was coming to town that, you know, that I was going to be calling them and saying, hey man, can you keep the gym open for me? I'll show up about midnight. That was pretty cool. That was definitely a very cool interview, for sure. Um, it definitely highlighted some stuff. But even even doing an interview, even not having the face paint on and and the the the, the bicep straps, it's all just him. He he still he's still kind of tangent. He's still kind of tangents off here and there, right? Like I mean, nothing kind of stayed on point. Like you're, you're talking one minute about how you couldn't press slam a guy, then you're talking the next minute about how you know I I had to call people to keep the gyms open. But I mean yeah. that that was a warrior. At the end of the day, I mean. He, uh, it's, it's funny that that interview touched on that promo right before he played it. Good segue, my man. Good segue. Because uh, we, we, you got to hear how he was like, you know what? I, 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 I remember doing it, but I don't remember doing it. Like, I was just so far out there. Yeah, and the ironic part is I actually I forgot that that part was actually in the clip. And when he started saying it, I just... I, well, I should I, have just totally, taken the compliment. I, you shouldn't I, have said you forgot about it. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious when the clip happened. It was, I realized, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I totally forgot. The promo that we just played is literally... Yeah, that's, that's what he's talking, he's talking about right about. now. But, like, yeah, specifically of just how much... Um, I really wanted to get that point across of what um, people don't realize about Warrior, of how much back then what people thought that he was just... He would go off on tangents, but it's just like a lot of us of the way that a lot of us talk in general of how we'll be on this one topic and then all of a sudden, because you have a word that segues in your mind, all of a sudden that takes you to a different place and now you're over here and now you're over here and now you're over here. So I almost kind of chalk that up as to just the everyday person that just really is just naturally having a conversation with another person in general. It's a, for, for a lot of people, man I've, man, I've had so many conversations with people, I find it even far between that a lot of people can even keep themselves on a specific topic for more than 30 seconds yeah, for sure <laughs> but but getting back to the topic of what we're actually talking about here which is the warrior that after wrestlemania um warrior he successfully defended the championship against haku mr perfect and teddy biasi at SummerSlam, he retained the title over rick root in a, in a steel cage match macho man randy savage was also in, introduced 
as a potential rival that interfered with in a main in uh, the main event title match at the behest of DiBiase. I remember that. That was a good that that steel cage match you actually mentioned in in in, in that whole spiel. There was that one was actually probably one of his. A lot of people don't go go back and watch that match. That was probably one of his most technical matches because of who he was with. Yeah, we talk about the dance partners all the time, but you you go into a room, you go into a ring, a ring with ravaging Rick Rude, you better be on point. And I remember that match going back, and I'd have to go back and rewatch it myself. But I do remember parts of that match where, even though it's steel cage, and even though it's meant to be a slobber knocker, as Jr. would yeah. put it, there was some technical ability there on both ends. And I don't, I, I want to say this, I don't think Rude carried Warrior that night. I think they carried each other. I feel like yeah, they, they were able to really like carry each other because of just how much of a uh, work ethic that they both carried of just wanting to go tell a good story that they both genuinely wanted to go out there and tell a good story. And I feel like Rude was one of the only people besides Hogan that he could actually get along with in the ring. That it was one of those weird weirdo scenarios that, um, for the most part, everybody else you couldn't really get a good match out of out of out of Warrior. Like it was really like it was like trying to pull teeth. It was really like trying to pull teeth, especially after asking any of the technical guys. Of talking to any of the technical guys, I would hear it in almost every shoot interview. Anybody who's ever said anything about Warrior, but for some reason, Rude seemed to be the guy. He seemed to be that that natural niche for for Warrior. That every time they got in the ring together, they always seemed to make magic happen. Yeah, yeah. There always. were a lot of there were a lot of good lot of good moments that they had, even some stuff that you don't see, like house shows and stuff. I'm sure that they probably tore the house down and they did it they did it quite well together for sure. Yeah, and the fact that um, you know, going there, there was the one part that I forgot to make mention of, which, which was, was Intercontinental Championship run, which uh, at, at, which uh, began it was in 1989, where he entered a feud with Rick Rude over the Intercontinental title, and the feud sparked uh, in 1989 at the at the Royal Rumble, where uh, the two met in the Super Pose Down, and the fact that like that just in general, they told an amazing story of how boring of a concept that that actually really would be to actually just have a pose down where you're just the two of you. In the rig, like go back and watch, you know, Big Papa Pump and Triple H. Like it's one of the most boring things you'll ever see in your entire life. But however, for those two, they actually made it. Like, you, when would you ever picture when you're when you're looking at the Ultimate Warrior shaking the ropes and acting like a crazy guy that you'd ever think that he'd be posing in front of the ladies? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. they managed to make it like super. They managed to just take that and spin it and make it so entertaining towards what they were supposed to do for their characters. What was a goofy idea turned out to be one of the the moments that you remember most fondly. Yeah. So yeah, my my sincerest of apologies. Totally forgot yeah, to uh, okay. to mention about his, his Intercontinental okay. title run. But now we'll get to. Uh, Warrior, because uh, his his absence, he he had left at that point. Um, they went on. He did his title run, um, lost the belt, and then eventually um, he went on to do very minor feuds because of the fact of what we had just kind of talked about of uh, just scaling down the concept of every time he would get in the ring with somebody, he would try a new rivalry, um, which I just made mention of actually of Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, they actually they tried to do it. They did it at SummerSlam '92. Uh, um, when they tried to go and they tried to go in Wembley Stadium, they tried to make that match happen, and it was amazing. The only problem was just because of the way that that match went and how loosey goosey Warrior was compared to how unbelievably athletic uh, Macho Man Randy Savage was. It just it didn't make sense and it wasn't working. And that was pretty much the same deal with almost everybody that he would get in the ring with. It would either have to be a Warrior squash match or it would have to be nothing at all. So when people got to that understanding of things, 
nobody wanted to work with Warrior at that point, so eventually... Well, and then he also mentioned the Heat, too, right? Because he got yeah. into the business not to be a wrestler forever. Exactly. So, I mean, you start walking around saying that kind of stuff, yeah, you're going to get a target on your back, for sure. Yeah, and also the fact of holding Vince up uh, specifically for um, a, a lot of money over the course of uh, specific dates that he was supposed to be at, and then specific dates that he totally just blew off simply because he just didn't want to be there. Um, for a lot of reasons involving uh, involving money, a lot of reasons involving, uh, from what I understand, there's a from and then also there are so many conspiracy theories about why Warrior and what he did and his money he held up from people and held up from Vince and this that and the rest of it. The stories are so back and forth that. I didn't even care to go into like the nitty gritty of any of that stuff. So we'll get into from when he left. Now he's back in 1996. Took a, took, um, I believe it was about a four year absence. And now he's back in the year of 96 where Warrior returned in March 31st, 96 uh, at WrestleMania 12, defeating your boy, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. This made his, and then he made his first appearance on Monday Night Raw on April 8th, where he gave an in-ring interview credited the voices of the Warriors his uh, names of the members of the WWF audience, of course, for his return. And he was interrupted by Goldust. <laughs> Warrior challenged for Goldust Intercontinental Championship at In Your House 7. Warrior won the match by countout, but did not win the title. The following night on Monday Night Raw, Warrior defeated Isaac Yankum, DDS, that is, of course, better, better known as uh, Kane. <laughs> A repackage that was better known as Kane. Um, a rematch for the Intercontinental Championship uh, with Goldust, it took place on May 27th episode of of, uh, of the Monday Night Raw, and it ended in a double countout, thus eliminating both men from the tournament, uh, from uh, the Intercontinental Championship tournament, and eventually giving Vader a bye to the semifinals. Warrior defeated Jerry Lawler at the King of the Ring and defeated uh, and defeated Owen Hart by disqualification on July 8th episode of Monday Night Raw. So sorry, that was not an Intercontinental title uh, tournament. That was the King of the Ring tournament. Uh, Warrior was scheduled to team with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson to face Owen Hart, Davey Boy Smith, and Vader at In Your House 9 later that month. But the WWF terminated Warrior's contract when, when he missed several house shows and taking time off allegedly to grieve the death of his father. WWF owner Vince McMahon claimed that Warrior had not seen his father in 10 years and did not, and did not care much for him. Therefore, he did not take Warrior's he did not take Warrior's excuse missing house shows at face value. Warrior disputes McMahon's explanation, claiming that the real reason why he never showed up to those events was a breach of contract by McMahon, in which WWF sold uh, Warrior's merchandise without giving him a, a percentage. He was replaced by Psycho Sid in, in Your House 9. And then this led to, of course, him going to WCW in 1998, which was just a brilliant, if anybody remembers that, was an absolutely Brilliant run. <laughs> WCW signed Warrior in 1998. He formed a stable opposing Hollywood Hulk Hogan's New World Order. The, the UWO! One... <laughs> the, 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 the One Warrior Nation. The, the acronym OWN. Oh, one Warrior. Yep. I thought one... it was Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> nope. One Warrior Nation. It was a play on the name NWO. Highlights of the storyline include Warrior's kidnapping and converting the Disciple to frequent instances of magic smoke knocking out all of the nwo members except for hollywood hulk hogan and covering warriors covering warriors movement through the trap door in the ring the trap door responsible for nearly paralyzing davy boy smith when he awkwardly fell on it during the match at fall brawl 98 um heard too many stories about that apparently nobody even told davy boy about the trap door at, at all 
Uh, Warrior only participated in three matches in WCW. His first was at War Games was at the War Games match in Fall Brawl, where he competed as a member of Team WCW, competing against eight other wrestlers for a shot at Goldberg's WCW World Heavyweight Title at Halloween Havoc. Diamond Dallas Page won the match by pinning Stevie Ray on Monday Night Raw. He teamed with Sting to defeat Brett, to defeat Hogan and Bret Hart by disqualification. A match in which he had little participation. He was tagged in for a short exchange with Brett, then single-handedly chased several NWO members down the entryway. That was apparently also because, um, uh, apparently, when you go back and you watch the footage, Warrior literally chose not to tag and literally made Brett literally fight the entire match by himself. And you go back and you watch the footage of that match, that's literally how that went down. Um, uh, the third was a loss to Hogan at Halloween Havoc. In what was considered by Eric Bischoff as one of the worst main event pay-per-view wrestling matches ever. In the Halloween Havoc match, the timing of the maneuvers and the hits was poor. And an arm, an arm injury that Warrior received at War Games further slowed the action. An attempt to blind Warrior with a, far, with a fireball backfired when Hogan faced complications, igniting the piece, of, the piece of flash of paper. Causing the fire to go up in Hogan's face instead. The match came to an end when... Uh, Horace Hogan hit Warrior in the back with a chair while, while Eric Bischoff had referee Nick Patrick dis distracted. Hogan then scored the pinfall. Sounds like a complete and utter debacle, but it doesn't sound all, it sounds almost as bad as the Sting and Jeff Hardy match from TNA when Jeff Hardy was all drugged out of his gourd. It pretty sounds much. pretty much near. I mean, that is probably one of the worst pay per view matches of all time. It was really embarrassing. Like you go back and you watch that match, and I actually had to go back for research purposes. I had to go back, and I had didn't want to, but I had to go back and. I, God, and I how? Had to go watch and that match. how was it? Oh god, goodness! <laughs> um, it's so unbelievable when you go back. Like you've seen it, people have seen it in clips. Um, you can even see it in uh, in some of the clips on WWE Network. You can go check it out um, for for the fact that uh, the fireball. It was the fireball mess that was absolutely insane. Of just like the fact of how Hogan was setting up the fireball. It looked like he was going to throw it in Warrior's face. He was fiddling with it. It just looked like he was just. Having so much trouble with it until it finally just blew up right in his face, and just by the end of it, that's the and and George just looked down and shook his head. And to me, all I'm seeing is that's Eric Bischoff's face when he was watching that on the monitors in the back. He's probably back going, okay, okay, he's got it, he's got. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh. WWE's killing us right now. Well, th <laughs> thank God that people already paid money for this, eh? Right? Exactly. At that point, it was the main event. It was all over. And so at that point, it was it was pretty much a, a, an over and done deal. And I can imagine that that was the end of Warrior's contract right after that. Uh, WCW claimed that the attempts were made to save the storyline through Warrior had, was as, as claimed in interviews and, and uh, convention appearances. That the only reason that he was brought back so was so Hogan could get the win over Warrior in return for Hogan's WrestleMania job, mm. and that's been um, that has been actually um, a tale of the tape for sure. Um, you've, uh, there's tons of shoots out there; it's still available. There's tons of them on YouTube, still available of Warrior talking nothing of when he came back. That was pretty much what he was. Nobody was telling him anything, but that's what it pretty much felt like, and it looked like. Um, we'll just go back and watch the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. That was the biggest debacle of all time. That was just everybody taking shots at someone that wasn't able to defend himself. Pretty much, pretty much. And then um, that was that. Pretty much that was the end of that of Warriors going to WCW. There was no reason for him to continue after that. Um, after retiring in 1999. 
Warrior only wrestled one match after that in 2008 against Orlando Jordan in Barcelona, in Barcelona, Spain. Warrior won the match and thus the new wrestling federation, the new wrestling evolution world heavyweight championship, but then immediately vacated the title. That's apparently where this was all taking place was at New Wrestling Evolution. Um, I know nothing of this company. I didn't get a chance to do any research yeah. or anything like that, but uh, small indie promotion from what I understand. Barcelona, Spain sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and then, we, and then we get to uh, the Hall of Fame. And on February 20th, 2013, Warrior confirmed on his official YouTube channel that he would be, that he would be appearing at WrestleMania 29 on April 7th, 2013. In the same clip, he spoke positively about Vince McMahon for the first time on his channel. His appearance was so popular that the second print run of tickets had to be ordered. On, on July 15, 2013, Warrior was featured in WWE 2K14 game trailer and revealed that he was on the roster for, pre -order, for a pre-order bonus. And on April 5, 2014, that was when the Ultimate Warrior was inducted into the Hall of Fame class of 2014. And the next day, Warrior appeared at WrestleMania 30. And the following night delivered a promo on Raw, his first appearance at the show since, the front, since his final WWF TV match in 1996. During what turned out to be his final public TV appearance, Warrior gave a speech to the fans and wrestlers past and present as the Ultimate Warrior character. And now, we're going to play that promo for you right now. Speak to me, Warrior! Mike to the camera, man. I love it. There you go. There's the warrior. Well then, you shut up, warrior, and let me do the talking. No WWE talent becomes a legend on their own. Every man's heart one day beats its final beat. His lungs breathe their final breath. And if what that man did in his life makes the blood pulse through the body of others, it makes them bleed deeper in something than larger than life, then his essence, his spirit, will be immortalized by the storytellers, by the loyalty, by the memory of those who honor him and make the running the man did live forever. You, 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 you are the legend makers of Ultimate Warrior. In the back, I see many potential legends, some of them with warrior spirits, 
and you will do the same for them. You will decide if they lived with a passion and intensity, so much so that you will tell your stories and you will make them legends as well. I am Ultimate Warrior. You are the Ultimate Warrior fans. And the spirit of Ultimate Warrior will run Forever. Man, that music gets me so hyped. You know what's um, you know what's morbid about that speech though, is how he said, "One day, every man, every man's heart beats its last beat. His lungs take their last breath, and if yeah. what he did in his life means anything." You know, he'll know peace. And it's it's weird to me. I've always said that. Not that. I've never said that. But I've always said that after seeing that speech, then unfortunately the tragic events that happened only literally hours later. Yeah. Um, that I feel like he was literally at peace. Everything had been kind of rewritten. He was able to do the DVD with the WWE, which was very amazing as well, mm. to come out and kind of set the record straight on a lot of stuff. Then the Hall of Fame. He got to reconnect with old friends. There's even a, a clip, a video clip in the Ultimate Warrior DVD of him preparing for the um, uh, something. I think it, I think it was for the Hall of Fame, where they actually showed it in one of the the Hall of Fame moments or the the 24 or whatever it was. That one of their with Hogan. Yeah, with Hogan, where yeah. Hogan was like, "Hey, man, listen, like all the crap I did." And, you know, he Warrior was respectful. He was like, you know what? You really, you blindsided me and you hurt me. And uh, I don't think it was right. I think him getting to kind of make peace with all those animosities and all those things he felt, I think that was the only thing that literally kept him alive other than his family. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the only thing, mm. but I feel like once he got to close that chapter, close that book, I think that's why things ultimately went down the way they did. And, I mean, you can even see it in that clip. If anybody's listening, you know, go back and watch that clip. You can see at the beginning of the clip, his face is red. He's breathing heavy. I mean, at that point, I would have just thought it was adrenaline. But knowing what happened a few hours later, uh, watch every time I do watch that clip, and I don't watch it, like, all the time, but when I do see that clip, it does kind of give me chills. It really yeah. does. Because when he does the when he well, I'm just gonna say it because that's what it is. When he does that the pig snort, when he when he when he goes to snort, it really like when he's trying to do that, it really seems like that's the thing that's taking the most breath out of him. Like he can't even like catch it. He can't catch breath to save his life. He tried to shake the ropes. He could only get like maybe two shakes out of it before he was literally like falling all over the place, which was you know not necessarily. And I, and I imagine that that's where he got the idea for, you know what, I'm going to actually put the mask on and then the warrior character will come out because it's very clear that I'm not the ultimate warrior that people remember. Like, they're, they're going to see me shake the ropes and it's not going to look like the warrior that they remember. So I'm just going to put the mask on and put the voice on and actually, you know, take people back to that moment. And right. even, even himself back to that moment to actually remember that what, that, what the warrior actually, and that embodiment of the warrior actually did to him and did to everybody in that in, in the building that remembers from watching when we, we were all kids. And you got to give you got to give a lot of credit uh, to Triple H. I would have to say for really bridging all these gaps, kind of rebuilding these bridges that were you, you thought for sure were burned. Like you look at the Ultimate Warrior, him coming back, Macho Man, uh, even though he wasn't alive to do his induction, his brother kind of agreeing 
and saying, okay, you know, it, it's time. He needs to yeah. go in. Um, just all these bridges that you really thought were burned. Jeff Jarrett, for God's sakes. Like, the, like the, of, the, of the, two, yeah, the the two that I thought were never going to get a Hall of Fame induction, um, well, of, of course, besides uh, Owen Hart, would be um, Jeff Jarrett. Who I thought I'd never see the light of day that would ever be doing anything involving with in the ten foot radius of Vince McMahon would be Jeff Jarrett and the Ultimate Warrior. Right, and then they they both did, and there is there is the there there's the moments I believe that there actually is a twenty four special on him where he does hug Vince. Yeah, and you have to give the WWE credit for much like they did with Vicky Guerrero giving Dana Warrior a kind of spot within the company, being a global ambassador. She yeah. comes out and she introduces every uh, warrior. Uh, warrior recipient for the warrior award yeah. um, and uh, I think it's great that they, they literally honor his member every year in the Hall of Fame since it's probably the one thing I look forward to of all the great speeches and all the story and nostalgia we hear that night yeah. I really do look forward to the warrior award speeches because some of those people are definitely an inspiration and deserved the honor of being the warrior award but let's not forget what he says in the Hall of Fame because he does say in his Hall of Fame speech we shouldn't just be honoring ourselves we should be honoring the paper pushers in the office the guys that bring the ring the truck drivers that drive the stuff from location to location i have yet to see one of those people get honored what they're honoring is people that definitely deserve the honor because they're out there and they're they're taking insurmountable odds and they're fighting them and they're beating them and they're conquering them and they're becoming ambassadors of hope but yeah. let's not forget the Warrior Award when he mentioned it in his Hall of Fame speech. He mentioned it for the regular Joe Blow, the guys like you and me, the guys that all the workhorses behind the scenes that never get the credit. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what it was for. It wasn't supposed to be for people who were of ailments and becoming beacons of hope. It was supposed to be the average Joe. Exactly. Which they, again they are, but in a different capacity because they become beacons of hope in an unfortunate situation, they become a spokesperson to fight against whatever they're fighting, be it cancer, be it, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the little boy that had the, I think it was the heart, he had a failing heart. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. There's so many. So I, I can't remember all the ailments, but <clears throat> they're <clears throat> Oh, Connor, for example, Connor, yeah, who was course, the first uh, Connor, the crusher, Connor, the crusher. So, you know what I mean? Like that, 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 that was a great idea, but I, I just wish they would kind of go back to what he wanted to and, kind of recognize the Joe Blows that nobody ever really gives the credit to, for sure. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because the Warrior Award actually ended up kind of getting dumped on at the beginning. The Warrior Award almost got abolished at the beginning of of it all because of uh, the stigma that's kind of what most people don't... Some people do know about Warrior, what some people don't know about Warrior. If you're, you know, kind of into... If you were into Warrior University at the time when he was really putting that out, then you were really into his public speaking and really into... Um, a lot of the things that were what were supposed to be presented in a really, really good light and was supposed to be presented in a, a very, very well-spoken fashion. But unfortunately, what ended up happening um, was uh, like people like people like Pro Wrestling Torch. They were describing Warrior in his real life of, of being made as a, a vile, bigoted, hateful, uh, judgment, judgmental comments on cancer victims, uh, Hurricane Katrina victims, homosexuals. Um, a woman defending a gay man and even even Martin Luther King Jr. Like these, there's a long list of things that were um, misconstrued in, in, uh, in Warrior's delivery of the way that he would describe these things, but then have to go back and literally apologize to, to everybody by, by, by saying things that Hurricane Katrina was actually kind of a good thing. 
and saying things like this in, in that in, in, in that light. So unfortunately, there was a lot of wreckage to kind of pick up and clean up along that way. But the Warrior Award, uh, in that respect, is the way that they described it. And, the, and it's, it's the best way to get over that hump if you're that person that's on the fence of whether or not to believe in Warriors, this guy outside of his character, but he's this person when he's the, the actual character. All you need to do is just recognize, it, all the, the Warrior Award is just simply recognizes individuals that exhibit the strength and courage of WWE's legendary character, the Ultimate Warrior. Any attempt to distract, any attempt to distract from the mission of these initiatives and take the spotlight away from the honorees is, is unfortunately misguided. And that's really just that, and that's actually a direct quote that comes from the WWE, and exemplifying what people have have gone out of their way to actually tarnish everything about Warrior's name and everything about his credibility. And the same thing with what you had mentioned before about. Uh, um, um, uh, about the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD, which was the beginning of, of, of all of that, of trying to tarnish this individual's name when it was just all about a guy when the Ultimate Warrior is very simply the ultimate superhero that can literally conquer anything. And you literally just heard it in that speech when he was talking about the jobber that I mentioned about before, Mike Sharp, when he was, when he was doing the jobber scenario of working matches and where he managed to find the courage after he after he dropped this 300 pound guy over on practically on his head still found the ability to be able to go no these people paid to see me lift this guy over his head i'm gonna find what energy and, and courage and gusto and whatever i need to do to show these people that i'm the ultimate warrior and that's what that that's what all that in character embodied well, wouldn't you say that quote is is semi-hypocritical? Not of the ultimate warrior, and I don't want to go off kilter, but wouldn't you say that quote is a little bit hypocritical coming from a company who wants to tarnish the memory of, say, I don't know, China? Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, we've we've talked we've we've talked about it, but I mean, think about it. Uh, this was a character. You want to honor a character. You want to remember a character. Then remember a character. And forget about all the personal stuff, right? Like you said, you may mention he's made comments which were misconstrued and reworded and taken out of context. She's done things which were misconstrued. Taken out, out of context. context. And yet she is also the physical embodiment of everything that the Ultimate Warrior literally was. She was literally a person who literally went in there, crushed everyone in two seconds, couldn't really cut that, that good of a promo... But her physical ability to be able to actually go in there and just physically dominating, all you have to do is just shine a spotlight on her. Walking down that ramp. If you're a dude or if you're a girl, you don't want to mess with this chick because she'll beat the crap out of you right now. Because look at her. Well, that's what I mean. That like kind of thing. You're talking about a Hall of Fame. In a lot of ways, there are a few people in there. It should be called the Hall of Shame. Because Somewhat, you've, yeah. got, you've, got, you've got a murderer, Jimmy Snuka. Whether it was proven or not, well, and a lot to a lot can be said for literally the entirety of. Um, the, uh, I just want to fabulous Moolah, her and her husband were literally pimps, and I mean the WWE universe took up in arms when they wanted to name the first women's battle royal the uh, fabulous Moolah after fabulous Moolah, but then they quickly dropped the moniker because yeah. they didn't want to get in trouble. These yeah. people were like, "Yo, yo, yo, what the hell? You want to duck China, but you want to recognize a pimp?" And it's it's all factual. It's been proven. So, I mean, how can you say this is okay? This this bowl here is fine. Yeah. But this one is no. Yeah, like, exactly. It, 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 it's an oxymoron for me. And that's when I hear stuff like that, that's what frustrates me the most about 
the the company I, I love, the business I love, yeah. is the fact that they they literally have their their heads up their own butts and they don't realize that you're saying one thing, but you're literally doing the polar opposite over yeah. here. Well, and, and it's 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 basically the same kind of hypocriticism as the way what, what the way I would consider just be a star in general. Of you're trying to tell these kids to go out there and to go to go stop bullying, but yet. The entire moniker of wrestling is when to solve a problem is to go beat up the other person to solve the problem. And that's how you're supposed to solve the problem. Well, and look, so, at, look at the storylines that have come out of recent. Yeah. You take a big girl who's a big girl, she's big boned, and you throw the beautiful girl in the mix, and she's making fun of the big girl exactly. for being a big girl. Exactly. It's, it's stuff like that that I catch all the time. And then the big like, girl starts crying. weird. <laughs> and then you're sitting there and you're telling kids that, oh man, look at her. She's larger than life, but she's sensitive. Yeah. She's got a heart, Steve. Yeah. And yeah. one day it'll beat its final beat and her lungs will take their final breath. But you know what? She beat a five foot tall blonde girl at WrestleMania to win a title for two months. Steve. And if she call her, and if you call her big, then she runs into the back and starts throwing around the luggage and starts yeah. throwing stuff around and starts screaming and yelling. I heard some of that luggage wasn't even Alexa Bliss's. It was the other girls in the locker room. I bet they were furious that, when they came back I would back be. There I mean, those are Hanes suitcases. Those aren't cheap. Like, dude, that's my stuff. That's my like, stuff, bro. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Why, would, why wouldn't you Why would you throw my stuff everywhere? All right, I went off on my tangent, but I just wanted to make mention of that, that, that how hypocritical no, that statement is in itself. But... Carry on. We're almost wrapping up the end here I, of the Warrior. I, I agree, because the, 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 just like little things like that of how um, Warrior in, in himself was just a very hypocritical person. So, therefore, there's not really a lot of, there's not really a whole lot of wiggle room for, like, he was right about this, but he was wrong about that. It's like, no, there's a lot of stuff about Warrior when you go back to it that, for himself as a person, was very hypocritical. But to, to but me, he did own up to quite a bit of that in that DVD. He did. He owned up to quite a bit of, yes. the, of, the, of the mistakes that he himself made. But he also admits, too, a lot of the stuff that I said or did was taken out of context. And then at that point, it becomes a game of telephone. It started off over here, but after five, 500 different conversations, this is a story you end up getting. Well, yeah, it's like kind of like being able to go out there and, and talk about a guy that didn't know what the hell he was doing in the middle of his promos when in actuality, he did know what he, the hell he was doing in the middle of his promos. He definitely knew what the hell he was doing. He knew how far to go, and he knew where to pull it back, and... You literally heard him just say that in the middle of the interview, in the middle of that interview of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, and then, the, you know what, I, I just wanted to go into this last thing about the Warrior because uh, the fact of what a lot of people um, growing up in this new generation don't know now is uh, the fact that Warrior, he actually did legally change his name to uh, the mononym Warrior. Mm. Um, this is a, a the, 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 this one word name now appears all legal documents pertaining to Warrior and his children carry Warrior the Warrior name as their legal surname. Warrior and the WWF engaged in a series of lawsuits and, and legal actions in '96 and 1998, where both parties sought to of declaration that they that they owned the characters Warrior and the Ultimate Warrior under both contract and copyright law. The court ruled that Warrior was legally entitled to use the gimmick, costuming, face paint designs, and mannerisms for his Warrior character. On September 27, 2005, WWE released a DVD documentary focusing on the Warrior's retrospective wrestling career titled The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. The DVD featured clips from notable feuds and matches along with commentary from WWE stars past and present, most of which, were, most of which are unflattering. With Triple H 
by the point one by the point of WWE's top uh, top inventors and the husband of, of Vince McMahon's uh, daughter Stephanie McMahon added that his WrestleMania debut loss to the Warrior at WrestleMania uh, WrestleMania 12 left him with mixed emotions, saying that the Warrior ruined the experience for him and was one of the most unprofessional guys he's ever worked with. The DVD has provoked some controversy due to Warrior's own allegations of libel the WWE against him by WWE against him. Originally, Warrior was asked to help with the production of the DVD, but and as he refused to work with the as he refused to work with the company, cited that he did not want to be associated with their promotion. There were some of the some there have been some resulting animosity between Warrior and the WWE over Warrior claiming bias on part of WWE. In January 2006, Warrior filed another lawsuit against WWE in an Arizona court over. Um, the depiction of the warrior care of the warrior career of, of his wrestling career in the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD, and on September 18, 2009, Warrior's lawsuit in Arizona was dismissed. So obviously that meant uh, nothing came from the DVD, but it all came from um, nothing ended up coming from uh, the DVD, but uh, everything ended up coming back from uh, uh, obviously just the, the the legalities of his own name and being able to keep the Warrior moniker. Right, and then you, you look at the grand scheme of things, right? Like, Triple H was the point man in that DVD about how much he just slammed the guy. And then you literally fast-forward nine years later, and he's the one who's making the amends. Yeah, and Bobby, and, and, and there was, there, it wasn't just, that was, that's, that's the best part, is it wasn't just Triple H, it was Bobby Heenan was brutal. Bobby Heenan was probably the most brutal of all of them. Cause May the he rest one, in peace. May he rest in peace. And it was the first first name that came to mind specifically because of the fact of, um, the way he would talk about what he would do with, with Andre, of thinking about the matches, because he would have a string of house shows, I think it was like a year and a half that he worked with Andre. And um, he, would, he, would, he would go for a clothesline every night against, uh, you, you, Warrior would go for a clothesline on Andre once every single night. And apparently on the first two attempts, um, he slammed Andre so hard that it almost knocked him completely clear out of the ring. He wanted to just make it look real and so on and so forth. But apparently gave Warrior a warning of, like, if you do that to me one more time, you're going to get hurt tomorrow night, boss. And then, sure enough, Warrior went for another clothesline. <laughs> Andre, he ducked that. He moved out of the way. And then all he did was just put his just put his hand out. And he just left a big fist for Warrior to just come right back into. Because that was the way that they, they would teach him how to actually, like, get... Dude, you can't do this to people every night. You can't hurt... People so what you're saying is, is that Ultimate Warrior was probably the original Ahmed Johnson. He was he was one of the original Ahmed Johnsons of just this this guy that came in and he would just go out of his way to he would make it look so real that it would be real to all the people that were in the ring that he'd be working with, and so that's what would make it so scary to go work with with from what I understand it would make it so scary to go and work with Warrior because you just. He, he, even he was so unpredictable that he would tell the guys that he was working with he doesn't know what he's really going to do every night. Where that would be, it's just a commonality of like if you if I'm giving you my body, you're I'm giving you you're giving you you're giving me yours. So therefore, we got to work together here. It's like a trust fall. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You sure. got to have a trust fall with your your with your, with with, your, with the person that you're working with. Well, I mean, he wasn't the first one to you know have that kind of moniker around him, and he won't be the last. I mean. Yeah. Uh, Seth Rollins has gotten better, but Seth Rollins is one that still pops to my head about somebody who, in the early stages of his WWE career, was very unsafe. Uh, yeah. He 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 retired Sting. He put Finn Balor on the shelf for a year and a half. Like uh, he was definitely very unsafe. Um, Ahmed Johnson rings a bell. Um, 
even back in the day, you look at the, the stuff that they did with the, now they're all about safety and stuff like that. But this was the same company 20 years ago was lighting the ring on fire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of a give and take situation when it comes to that. But, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I want to say, uh, rest in peace, ultimate warrior. As a child, I grew up idolizing everything about you. And I think, uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, your memory is strong. And, for those of us who are of the old school mentality, we are now shedding light to the new schoolers. So if we have anybody who's just getting into wrestling or anybody who kind of didn't really know the whole story, now you've kind of got the whole package. And I think, uh, Steve, you did a great job on the research, bud. Really yeah, cheers, cheers, my man. We got, we, And then, of course, we got one last tidbit to actually to, to talk about that isn't so much of a tidbit as the most prominent um, part of uh, Warrior's family today. The Warrior, um, he died on April 8th. 2014 in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was inducted into, of course, as we made mention of, he's inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame on, on April 5th, appeared at WrestleMania 30 on April 6th, and his last appearance on Raw, which was the April 7th, the day before his death. Um, according to reports, Warrior Cl was clutching his chest and collapsed at 5.50 p.m. while walking to his car with his wife outside of their hotel in Arizona. He was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead at the age of 54. Warrior's colleagues said Warrior appeared appeared frail during WrestleMania weekend and said that he was sweating profusely and breathing heavily backstage. An autopsy revealed Warrior died of a heart attack caused by oth othro othro oh my goodness I can't even cardiovascular disease um, by some some sort of cardiovascular disease. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool we'll say we'll just say heart attack yeah it's just a, just a heart attack in general but uh yeah. medical terms you can't even can't this was really i don't trip over words so much where i literally give up i gave the f up on this one i'm like no way i'm not doing this <laughs> it's yeah. like when people tried to learn galifianakis for the first time they're like i'm not doing this like that, that, that's that, not, that you're talking about that guy from hangover yeah I yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> gal gal yeah yeah, yeah that guy <laughs> that guy Who's gonna let the dogs out? Right. Yeah. No. Um. You know what? Uh. It uh is a tragic day, man. I remember waking up and, and and reading that in Facebook in the morning, and I was like, this this can't be real because half the time you stuff yeah. you see on Facebook is complete bull. But um, going and checking it, and sure enough, the statement was released from WWE. And once a statement kind of comes from an organization like that, and you see CNN start rolling in, ESPN, TSN, yeah. you started to see it all roll in. And you're like, God damn! And, and it, it's funny because it's not funny. That's not funny, but at the beginning of this whole thing, you mentioned that his grandfather was 52 and his dad was 57. Yeah. So it seems like... Young families. Young, definitely young. Like, back in the day... Young 50, family, I mean. 57, you were old as crap back in the day, but now with technology and all the stuff we know about our bodies and eating healthy, trying to do the right stuff, uh, 57, or 54 is so young. Right. So young, man. Even people in their 60s, so young. Like, uh, to me, a, a good full life, I would say, probably have to be the 80s or 90s. Yeah. And I, I would say, say to say, you know what, you've you've had a great run. But 54, so much living to do. But you know what, the WWE has given such a great, for his family and his wife to be the global ambassador. From what I understand, his oldest daughter is training with Natty part-time. Don't know how that's going to go, but hopefully, I mean, Natty's a heart. So she's definitely going to be amazing if she ever decides to pursue wrestling full-time. Mm -hmm. And then there's the little daughter where I believe helps Dana with all the foundations and everything that they do with the WWE, but they've really, much like they did with Vicky Guerrero when Eddie passed away, they really did, they do welcome the family in and try to find a spot for them where they could still earn a living. Yeah. And kind of put the, uh, put the, still keep the family afloat, which I think is, uh, is pretty classy. 
And I'm not sure if that's kind of making amends type thing or if it's like a biggie and a puff daddy thing. Like, don't worry, bro, I got you. I got your family. I don't really know. But um, I, I, it was definitely classy on their part. And I, I think they went... WWE did things the right way to get him to agree to the Hall of Fame. They humbled themselves, realized what they did wrong, let him tell his side of the story. And at that point, it was up to you to decide as the fan. But as a fan, you were just happy to see a legend like him get inducted where he should be. And the fact is that every year, we still get a little bit of the Warrior because they showcase the Warrior Award. Yeah. So, I... Uh, there's, I don't think there's really much else to say, man. Great job. The research no, is killer. Yeah, thanks, dude. I think this is, I think this went really, really well. There's absolutely nothing else left to left to touch on. Warrior. He was, he, you know what? I feel like he was just a, he was a man of, of many colors. He was as much as people just thought he was this really, um, a really unprofessional, really hard to work with, really um, tough to follow, really tough, like for whatever estranged type of person that people really feel like the warrior was what I gathered from him. And especially when you listen to that interview, uh, with the two, with the two young men that, uh, he did the interview with that, uh, the two fans, it's, you, you listen to the way that he talks and you listen to the, how passionate he talks about, um, life in general of just, especially when he brings that word up. I notice every single time when I listen to um, a speech of, of warrior, cause I got way more into listening to his, um, his speeches on self-discipline and just, the way how he became the way he became and what had all all the things that he did to achieve um, the, the the greatness of, of which that he he achieved, um, it, it's just amazing to me to listen to a person talk about to, to to bring up the word life, and to listen to such a glow about listening to everything about that word of what a person should appreciate about life in general and how grateful he is to wake up every single day and and to just to to breathe the air and just to. To go outside and and, and 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 to just you know smell the grass and to and to see the sun shining and just all these little things that most of us just genuinely take for granted. That to me, I, I listen to him talk about those kinds of things of the way that life works, and it's just absolutely amazing to me to, that it's it's no no doubt that that's why the ultimate warrior was so embodied as the character as why he was the perfect candidate to embody the ultimate warrior. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, that's it for today. That's it for the Ultimate Warrior, uh, you know, uh, superstar profile. Fabulous job, sir. Fabulous job. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, next week, don't forget, uh, next week's episode, Tools of the Trade. We're going to talk about the guys who kind of uh, found themselves either before coming to WWE or after leaving WWE and maybe then returned home. That's going to be a good one. Can't wait to get into the meat and potatoes of that. Don't forget, um, you can catch all of our episodes uh, from this one all the way up to episode 21 on all of our profiles all of our uh, platforms, which you will hear at the end of the show. And before we play the outro, I think we should play this last clip because it's been sitting here, and I want to know what this last clip says. Totally. So this is uh, Ultimate Warrior from the Hall of Fame speech. We're going to play this, and then we're going to say our goodbyes. So I'll say bye now. I'm your host with the most, George Mackay. Thank you so much for listening. You all know my cohort in crime, Steve the Animal Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody. Let the Ultimate Warrior play you out. And don't forget, next week, September 28th, Tools of the Trade. I am Warrior. That is my name. I'm the creator and performer of the Ultimate Warrior, the one and only Ultimate Warrior. You are the Ultimate Warrior fans. Ultimate Warrior is a legend. And the Ultimate Warrior fans, you are legendary. You've waited all these years to speak your voice. You fought. I saw you fight over the years. I saw you fight back at all the anonymous ones, 
who put forward all this, the lies and the mischaracterizations. They tried to reprogram your minds, rewrite history about a wonderful, exciting, fun memory of the ultimate warrior. And you fought back, and I'm here tonight because of you. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. Wrestling!